Let's come back to the Reverend Alfred John Parkman Shepherd in the study of his rectory, beginning to ponder the scripture readings for his Sunday sermon. It's a discipline you follow. You don't look at next week's readings before the Sunday is over. If you look over the horizon, you won't focus properly on what's in front of you. So on Monday morning, he said morning prayer in church. He's come back to the vicarage for his breakfast. He's taken off his cassock and hung it up on the back of the door. He's caught up with his wife. He's done the Times crossword, or at least he would have done if the Times had yet introduced the crossword to the sermonising classes, which didn't happen until 1930. And now he's ready. He goes into his study, pulls the door behind him and sits down at his desk. He's wearing a comfortable tweed jacket. He's pulled out a venerable old briar and he's stuffing a Cavendish mix into his pipe with a brass temp passed down from his grandfather. He sits in a leather chair at a fine oak desk and looks out the window. There's a robin singing in the laurels, a blackbird foraging in the dry leaves under the half-open window, through which he can smell the climbing rose just outside and the freshly mown grass. He picks up his Bible with its crisp, heavy pages and takes up a pencil to underline words and phrases he must remember. The household knows not to disturb him, so all will be quiet. But still there are the familiar sounds, dishes being washed and dropped, vegetables being chopped, a carpet being swept. The long case clock in the corner and the watch in his waistcoat pocket run quietly and seem to slow time down. Through the window he can hear the gardener rolling the croquet lawn and distant voices shouting orders down at the lock. All is familiar, all is peaceful, he can begin to work. I've described such a rich medley of sounds, smells and other sensations. His tobacco, his tweeds, the leather in his chair, almost an overload of sensation. You might think he'd be totally distracted. But the point is that it all speaks of familiarity and calm. His senses tell him he's safe, all is well. But he's not really aware of what's going on. Only if these sensations weren't there or suddenly stopped would he become aware of what was happening around him. His senses have been caught, captivated. They're no longer available to pick up odd sounds that might distract him. In the same way the chair and the desk are comfortable, his posture can be relaxed, his joints and bones won't start calling for attention. If you're planning to practice meditation, it's good to be imaginative about all that kind of thing. Choose a place that's quiet and comfortable. But don't feel the need to avoid things that will please and capture your senses. Look, for instance, look for something aromatic, even pungent, to satisfy your nose. Nothing overpowering, though, and certainly not something smelling of food or cosmetics that will bring in other associations. For the eyes, a picture, a carving, a tapestry, perhaps, but nothing too interesting, again, that will suddenly grab your attention. Wear something that's pleasing to the touch. Have a book that feels well made. Best of all, keep in your hands a holding cross. It's probably best 
not to use music to begin with. It's prone to move along and develop and take you along with it. Perhaps not exactly where you need to go. Certainly avoid any music with words. For taste, honey would be best. From Psalm 119, Oh, how sweet are thy words, yea, sweeter than honey unto my mouth. But be careful of your teeth. Part of the point of meditation is to avoid dwelling on thoughts. No, you don't have to empty your mind, but you have to free it from things that you can profitably leave behind during your quiet time. We'll talk more of this, but you should have a pencil and paper handy, not not to record any brilliant ideas you have, but quickly to scribble yourself a reminder if something that occur, something occurs to you that you'd absolutely have to get up and deal with straight away if you couldn't make a note to look after it as soon as you've finished. Some water to drink may be a good idea. Tea can be good, but it's prone to get cold, and if you decided you'd need another cup, that would wreck your preparations. You'll need a comfortable chair and a low table, and you'll need to place it where you won't be distracted by things happening or noticing something that needs to be done. You'll need a prayer book. And if, as I suggested last time, you've chosen a passage from Scripture, you'll need that passage copied or printed out. Don't have a Bible open. It contains too much. It will distract you. Some people prefer to lie on the ground, and that's fine if your back will stand it. A garden is perfect, again, as long as it won't prove a distraction. You don't, of course, need to take on board anything of what I said so far. Meditating is as easy as falling off a log, as simple as falling asleep. Hopefully you won't actually do that, but in group meditation you do sometimes hear the sound of gentle snoring, and that's okay. There it is in Psalm 127, For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lucky if you get it. But it's not the state you're looking for. More like how it is when you're heading towards sleep, or when you've been awake for a while in the morning and it's about time to get up. The aim is not that your consciousness should be dissipated, or that your mind should be emptied, but you do need to be focused. You need to find a time, obviously, when you won't be disturbed, but if possible it must be quality time, not when you're tired or in the middle of things that need a lot of attention. You can do it at any time, but it may be best if it can be at more or less the same hour each day. It is a discipline. You need to want to do it. It is a discipline, but it's an easy discipline, and of course, hugely rewarding. I said the aim is to focus, but on what do we focus? Next time.